Congratulations to the winner of last week's quiz, Jeremy Hickey, who posted a uh, correct comment on the website. And a bit of kudos as well to Ryan Juniper, who also came close with his comment uh, on the Facebook page. Welcome to episode 23 of the Obsangani Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to um, the podcast. Thanks for um, listening in again. So um, we're, this is part two of um, the the quiz that I posted last week and I dragged Graham back a week later to uh, to go over the results of the quiz and um, discuss it in a bit more detail. How was your weekend, Graham? Oh, it was great, Roger. I didn't have to work. That was a wonderful thing. Oh, oh, was, uh, yeah, nice for some. I worked um, my... Um, so let's well, recap, Thanks for inviting me back, yeah. So let's recap. Uh, do you want to just describe for the listeners um, the blood gas that I posted up and um, I will also um, then tell everyone what it is and we'll perhaps uh, I'll um, also uh, give some kudos to the, to the correct um, the listeners who, who, who commented on what we found. I did find it very hard to succinctly describe this blood <laughs> gas uh, other than to say it's a, a specimen which has a, a low pH, high CO2, a very low base excess and uh, bicarb. Uh, also an um, alarming con- concentration of potassium, yep. alarmingly high and an alarmingly low concentration of calcium and uh, very high glucose and lactate levels. And the haemoglobin of 268. So Yes. Thanks, Graham, for letting me uh, get the glory of telling everyone what it is. So this is actually a real... This is a real sample that I processed on a um, blood gas machine here uh, at my institution about six days ago, and it was actually taken from a bag of 23-day-old red cells that came up from the blood bank. Um, so I thought we'd just have a really short discussion about... Um, the storage lesion that, uh, or the changes that occur in blood when they're stored and, uh, and perhaps the relevance uh, uh, that this has to um, treating patients with um, allergenic blood. Um, so first disclaimer, you know, obviously um, transfusing patients when they're bleeding to death can, can be life-saving, so I'm not, I'm not against um, uh, red cell transfusion in general, but uh, it's really um, interesting to sort of delve into the details of... Uh, of the physiology of transfusing someone with stored blood from another person. And I thought this is a really good way of segueing into that topic for a sort of brief discussion about things. Um, so feel free to um, interrupt me, Graham. But yeah, I, no I thought the first thing we'll talk about is, um, so uh, So maybe we'll just, I'll try and summarise what happens. Most people know this. So what happens when um, someone donates some blood? They, they go into the donor centre, they put their arm out and they, have um, I think it's about what 250 mils of um, of their blood is drained into a well it's probably more than that actually no the volume's probably 500 600 mils that's right five or six hundred mils of their blood whole blood is drained into a bag containing citrate adenine dextrose and phosphate is mm-hmm. that right I think so uh, one of those is an anticoagulant the citrate and the other ones are just there to s- sort of um, help the red cells w- um, survive uh, and maintain function over time because they are stored for quite a long time aren't they yes. And uh, this bag of blood that we've done the blood gas on, it was 23 days old. I think... And that is a sort of standard sort of time, 
uh, length of time that thing uh, blood cells or red cells are stored before they transfuse. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think sometimes the um, bag of blood, that whole blood, does get um, divided into fractions. No, it always does, yeah. So yeah. whole blood is very f- infrequently. So the 600 mils that you donate is um, separated, yeah. yes. And uh, it's the only the red cells that are, uh, there's what I sampled. Um, but usually they take off the platelets and the plasma. And the plasma can be further divided into things like cryoprecipitate or... Um, uh, or it can just be used as FFP, fresh frozen plasma. Yes. And yep. they uh, do add some extra anticoagulant and probably some other preservatives to those uh, other products. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, about the details of that, but mm. we could always ask our colleagues who work in the, uh, some lab, uh, in the um, transfusion medicine arena. But um, I think that's pretty much the basics of it. Uh, so what happens then is it goes off and gets stored, you know, um, some of it's frozen, FFP and cry is frozen, but the red cells are stored at um, sort of refrigerant temperature, which um, off the top of my head I can't remember, but I'm presuming is somewhere around sort of three or four degrees mm. or so above freezing point, but pretty cold. It's, on the, it's usually on the front of the bag somewhere, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And, um, and so what happens over time is these red cells, you know, they're not circulating in a human, and so they do undergo changes which are thought to be detrimental. Um, so I thought I'd just really quickly whiz through what they are and uh, we will on the um, if people go to the show notes on the website have some links to the National Blood Authority and they've got a little video there which um, goes through all this as well which is probably um, quite interesting to see Um, so one of the things that happens is the red cells actually lose their um, flexibility so red red cells if you look at them under a microscope like a little donut and when they and they're normally functioning they pass through the capillaries in the body they sort of fold over on themselves and squeeze through these really narrow capillaries, and that's how they get to the through. The, they pass through these um, capillaries in the tissues and offload oxygen and take up CO2. So what happens, uh, unfortunately, over time is the longer they're stored, they lose that flexibility. And there's some really interesting um, studies and uh, video images of the microcirculation showing that they can't get through the capillaries, and they can can even um, occlude some capillaries and decrease the microcirculation. So that's obviously not good for transporting oxygen. Um, so that's a, that's a downside. And uh, there is a video of this on the National Blood Authority, which I'll leave the link to. The next thing is 2,3-DPG. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what 2,3-DPG stands for. You remember? It's a molecule that allows, anyway, it's a molecule that um, allows oxygen unloading, basically. So red cells contain this um, molecule and it's um, to do with the conformation of the hemoglobin molecule. And changes uh, shape and it allows I think is it um, a right shift so 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 the oxygen is taken up in the lungs but what you want to do is you don't want the oxygen to stay bound to hemoglobin when it gets to the tissues you want the oxygen to unbind and then leave the uh, red cell and cross the um, capillaries and the um, the um, interstitial fluid and enter into the cells and go into the mitochondria so if you lose two three dpg Graham's frantically Googling it now. If you lose 2,3-DPG, then what happens is the oxygen just stays bound to the hemoglobin. The red cells pass through the circulation and they don't release the oxygen and they head into the veins and back to the lungs without actually giving the tissues or the mitochondria anything useful. That's correct. um, 2,3-diphosphoglyceric acid. So 
that's a bad thing as well. Mm. So, so you've got some hemoglobin, but it's not as good at actually giving oxygen to the tissues, which especially the you know, brain and heart and all the, the things that we're really worried about when someone's bleeding a lot or is severely anemic. Um, what other things uh, can happen in the longer in the longer term, Graham, with uh, allogeneic blood? Well, allogeneic is the word for stored blood. Yeah, I mean there are some uh, features that you see on the blood gas which are probably kind of immediate effects you should be uh, aware of and concerned about. The first is the low calcium concentration. Yep. So that means where you are administering large volumes of allogeneic stored blood that the patients can become hypocalcemic and that can contribute to um, defects in uh, platelet function and uh, clotting. Yep. Um, And vascular tone. And vascular tone. Yep. Similarly, the uh, very high potassium uh, when administered in a hurry can be a potassium low that can affect myocardial function, potentially. Um, and uh, and they're kind of immediate effects, obviously. The uh, longer-term yeah. effects <coughs> include problems like immunomodulation or um, immune effects... Uh, whereby patients are potentially at increased risk of things like infection. Um, patients who have had cancers are at increased risk of things like cancer recurrence. Yep. Um, a- as well as those immune effects of introducing potentially allogeneic white cells as part of the transfusion, um, which, yep. which, 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 are, which are thought to contribute to changes in um, patients ability to sense self from non-self as far as I'm aware. So most red cells are now um, leukodepleted so the amount of uh, white cells you get when you receive a red cell transfusion is pretty low but there is still a residual amount um, that makes it through. Um, No one knows what the clinical implications are but there is something called microchimerism which is basically where these white cells from the person who donated the blood uh, can become incorporated into the recipient long term and so some people can actually if you do a PCR of the person years down the track can can detect DNA from them, but also from this person who donated blood to them years ago. Who knows what that means clinically, but um, that's an interesting observation. Um, so there's well-known effects of uh, red cell transfusions and other blood products on the immune system, and the, the, glo- the global effect appears to be an immunosuppression. So uh, renal specialists actually like that, because when you have um, trans- blood transfusion at the time of a renal transplant, it helps suppress um, the um, uh, recipient's uh, immune system and you're less likely to get acute rejection of the new kidney. Um, But there's observational data showing that uh, cancer recurrence and uh, post-operative infections appear to be more common in people who receive um, red cell transfusions at the time of their surgery. So that's a bit of a worry. Um, I didn't mention about the uh, fact that allogeneic blood may potentially expose a patient to uh, blood group and cause um, sensitization and uh, challenges with cross-matching blood in the future yep um, so this is so this is relevant to um, the obstetric population isn't it so mm. if they so they have the um, the antigens on the surface of the red cells from a donor are, are different to those of the of the woman who's receiving the red cells and so in some cases uh, the, the woman receiving the transfusion, the recipient, uh, has an immune response to those antigens and develops what's called an antibody. So you know, I'm sure the listeners have all heard of people who have a dif- difficult cross-match or red cell antibody. 
Um, and this some, could also contribute to hemolytic yeah, disease. Yeah, so, of the so some of them can yeah. cause hemolytic disease of the newborn, mm. although re the recess is um, the main one that causes mm. that. And I, I will concur to uh, more knowledgeable people on that topic. But yeah, so there are, um, and we usually give anti D for the for the the ones that cause the the, the rhesus D antigen, which is the biggest cause of that. But there are other um, antibodies which can cause hemolytic disease in the newborn as well. We so that's pretty relevant, isn't it? It is. We haven't mentioned um, transfusion-associated circulatory overload or transfusion-associated lung injury, but that's those right. things yep. are associated with uh, allogeneic blood. Yep, that's true. And I'm going to skip back to the calcium. Uh, so one of the other things, so red cells don't have a lot of it, but um, citrate, you know, we talked about how that's the anticoagulant they use when you donate blood. So citrate binds calcium, that's how it works. Um, it's especially if you give people lots of plasma or FFP then you can really make people hypocalcemic quite quickly and that's not very good if they're because uh, hypocalcemia causes um, impairs your heart function and your vascular tone mm. so that can really make shock a lot worse if you're already shocked and hypotensive that can really exacerbate a problem um, and if you're shocked your liver is usually have, has trouble metabolising the citrate so that's good, uh, good point all right, I want to move on. We don't want to go on for too long. I, um, I, I forgot to mention that I am a bit of a cynic. I do believe packed blood cells are good for a few things. They're a wonderful colloid. Yep. I think they save people's lives. There's yep. many patients I've looked after um, having massive hemorrhages where, you know, without a doubt, they would have died without red cell transfusions. So we don't... They're an excellent source of iron. And, um, yep. Yep. And after 24 hours, they're good at gas exchange. Yeah. And so some of these changes that we've, we've talked about, they may well um, res resolve or get better over time, I think. Um, I'm not sure what the evidence for that is. So 2 for 3 DPG, I presume. Yeah, it gets it's possible that gets re so. regenerated. Yeah. And um, I don't know about the flexibility and the ability for them to bend and move for the circulation. I don't know. Maybe that gets better. We should look into that, shouldn't we? Mm. But definitely um, some downsides. So what about, I guess, what, what about autologous blood? So we, um, I'm hoping to get um, one of my colleagues, Dr. Ruckledge, uh, to come along and we'll do a bit of a podcast on cell salvage, which is using autologous blood. So that's the alternative, isn't it, um, to using allogeneic blood in many of these sort of hemorrhage situations. Um, so I guess what, what we wanted to, to, to emphasise is that those are basically fresh red cells that come from the person who's bleeding, i.e. the woman having obstetric hemorrhage, um, but you know, anyone having a hemorrhage. They've only been out of the body a few hours. They haven't undergone any of these storage lesions, so they're really good at um, transporting oxygen. They're really flexible. They get through the circulation. Uh, they're not from someone else, so they're not going to cause these immune problems. And um, so, so in in general, the quality and the and the function is way way better, isn't it? Oh, I, I I imagine so. Uh, the um, autologous well, um, blood is. Uh, subject to preservative and uh, storage additives. Yep. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're the same person's uh, cells and they're fresh. Yep. So we actually do use the same, um, in our hospital, we can use heparinized um, solutions, but we do use the same CAPD um, solution when we're collecting autologous blood. We'll get into that in, our, in a separate podcast. Mm. But it's only really because it's got an anticoagulant. The um, adenine, the phosphate and the dextrose, you don't really need it because they're not stored. We collect, well basically we collect the um, autologous blood and then we wash it and process it and give it back within a few hours. So it's not really a, um, a storage issue. Roger, have you done a blood gas on a um, autologous blood sample? That's right, and I will put that, up, uh, I'll put that up on this one to compare. So you can see that right. it doesn't have, um, 
it doesn't have the hyperkalemia or the uh, l um, lactic um, high lactate. Um, but it doesn't uh, allow us to measure 2,3 DPG or the flexibility of the cells. But I'll put that up as well. So I did that um, l last week as well when I did this, the uh, red cell sample. We had a big bleed in theatre. All right, thanks. What uh, um, degree of free haemoglobin do you normally get from a specimen of autologous So that's something that's not blood. Necess necessarily measured um, very often. There are ways of measuring it in the lab, but we don't routinely do it, I think, because um, it's not an easy standard test to do. Um, but, but there have been studies out there which, which um, do look at that. So indirectly, people look at things like, I think, um, I think it's LDH. It's one of those... Um, enzymes that you see on a um, liver function panel or um, the potassium but uh, all but um, unfortunately potassium is a bit of an indirect measure of hemolysis so mm -hmm. there's one of the things with um, cell salvage or, or autologous blood is you've got to be a bit careful you're not hemolyzing all the cells when you suction them mm. and uh, process them but by and large they're actually um, a lot better or, le or less um, less easily damaged than um, stored blood so a lot of the studies on which looked at um Hemolysis when using the cell salvage apparatus was done on um, old bl expired blood where they suctioned them using different techniques and um, th that's been queried by some people because um, th that blood was like 30 to 40 days old and it's much more easily damaged and hemolyzed than um, fresh red cells out of a, out of a um, patient who's, um, uh, who's having a hemorrhage in theatre. Um, those red cells are much more sturdy as we talked about. You know, They can bend and they don't, they don't hemolyze as easily. Okay. All right, well, shall we stop it there? Any final comments, Graham? Oh, I just asked that question because it came into my mind. I'd better yeah, go away and do some reading, I think. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to corner uh, Dr. Rutledge at some stage because we're going to go over some of this. Uh, and there's been some really uh, interesting studies published uh, in the last 12 months on cell salvage and, and especially in obstetrics, which are quite relevant to um, all of our practice. Um, thanks again, Graham, and uh, thanks again for being such good sport and getting pulled out of theatre. Uh, and put on the spot. <laughs> better go back to theatre now. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandgynecritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to interesting videos related to the topic that you just listened to. See you again next time.